Oh shoot, oh, your boy did it again. You're now listening to Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Bobby and Friends. Hello everybody, uh, this is Bobby and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Friends. This is episode 6 of season 2. And on this episode, we'll sort of be diving into sort of our relationship with history. What our understanding of the past is who is included in the history that we've taught, who's not included, and how that portrays sort of our understanding of how different members of society have contributed to sort of uh, today's um, uh, society and who we are as a nation, as a society, and as a world, and whatnot, and and sort of the different conversations that are taking place around the country about sort of what's taught in our, in our history within within the education system in the U.S. and how that makes different people feel about that history that's being taught or that's not being taught. And to sort of get us started uh, with that, uh, which first of all, I hope you all had a great Halloween weekend. I hope you all had fun, costumes, everything, parties. I hope you all enjoyed yourself and you all were safe and everything. So I hope that so I hope you all enjoyed your Halloween weekend. But to move on, sort of um, uh, Bernice King, who is the last daughter. Uh, the last living daughter and the youngest daughter of the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, had a Twitter thread that I thought was great to sort of get us started with this conversation and topic about history and how we view history and, and how we understand history. Uh, and so she tweeted a, an image of her looking up at her mother during her father's funeral at the, chur at the church. Um, and in there she writes, me and my mother at my father's funeral. He wasn't assassinated because he said he wanted his children to be judged by the content of their character. He was gunned down because he was courageous and strategically working to dismantle racism, poverty, and militarism. And she went on to uh, add another uh, tweet on that thread um, with a, a link to uh, her father's speech, uh, MLK, The Other America. And here she writes, he was speaking truth to power about the Vietnam War, about economic injustice, plus racial justice, about the other America, about the violence of the U.S. government. Today, people who don't want the truth shared about these things are being are using one quote from a speech that, the, that my father gave about injustice and his dream that we've that we've eradicated injustice, including racism, to bend history, to bend honest history under the guise of bending critical race theory. But bending critical race theory, which many who are zealous about bending don't fully understand, isn't actually the goal. Instead, books about freedom and freedom fighters, including my father, who is a nonviolent warrior, are being banned, and teaching on racism is being banned. Truth about the past and continual fight for justice and freedom is only a threat if a person considers the freedom of others bondage for them. Transparency about how racism and white supremacy have devastated and continue to devastate is necessary for humanity. Misuse of a murdered man, misuse of a murdered man, who was then among the most hated men in America by white supremacists for talking about and doing something about what many want us to shut up about today. For the benefit of banning even him, it's unconscionable. We must teach our children the truth about history and about what we must do now to conquer hate and injustice. We must do that at home, in school, via books and art, and etc. Anyone unwilling to do so cannot humanely claim concern for hurting white children as a reason. Black children are human. Brown children are human. Racism is de destroying the world that all children, children live in. And if adults are not courageous enough to confront it, what are we teaching our children? What are we leaving our children? Finally, what is the intentional focus of critical race theory distracting those who have fallen prey to the fear-mongering from, 
from really focusing on what's not being corrected when history is not being taught correctly. And I thought that that was such an, an, an interesting thread. And I know that was a bit long to read, but I, I think it's important for sort of the conversation we're going to have today and sort of the review that I'm going to the movie review that I'm going to do today, because I think a lot of times within our education system, sort of the history that we are taught about our country, it, it, sometimes it's one one sided. Um, we don't like to shine a light on, on sort of the. The, the ugliness of our history. Um, it, it's always this thing of we need to showcase the positive and the good, but it's like nothing in life is 100% positive and good. Everything is filled with good and bad. Um, if you live in a house that is uh, dirty and if guests come over and they say, hey, your house is dirty, maybe you should think about cleaning it up. You shouldn't say, hey, don't say my house is dirty. No, your house is dirty. They're pointing it out because they want you to clean it up. They want it to be made better. And that's the way in which you should view history is that there are parts of our past which are very ugly, which are dirty, which we need to face up and deal with. And if we're not being honest about those those things of the past, then how will we ever move forward in a more positive and more meaningful and more um, sort of uh, cohesive way um, if we're not honest about the different roles of different parties and different segments of our society had and sort of crafting this thing that we know as the American project, right? Um, and being able to understand the, the, the various aspects of that American project um, and what voices were not included and which ones were and how does that affect how we view each other? If there's certain voices and certain stories are left out, how does that affect how we view each other as a society? Um, and to sort of move on from that, um, there's this... Um, article titled historical drama and tv's reckoning with the past uh, on bbc culture um, and it's written by karen james and uh, here they write far from being far from being a comforting vision of the past the best period drama reclaims history for now that's because these clear to eye series are rooted in the real world uh are used um karen james um and sort of, so this piece is about, um, and again, you should go and read it, but basically they're talking about sort of how period pieces are able to sort of uh, change the way in which we view history, right? And not necessarily change it, but bring in the stories that are not told, bring in the sort of characters that a lot of times were sort of um, uh, segmented off to the edges of society, right? Um, and not included within the storytelling. Um, and, you know, uh, James go on to say, goes on to say, Period pieces are often thought of as soothing escapes to a similar, simpler past, not so in the 21st century. Discussing Small Axe, his politically charged uh, revisionist series about West Indians in Britain from the 1960s through to the 80s, Steve McQueen told the BFI, BFI that's what art can do. Rewrite history um, in the way it should be written. That's what you do with your TV programs. Um, and uh, for those of you who are not familiar, um, uh, Small Axe, again, um, is a, a series, a, 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 a series about West Indians in Britain from the 60s through the 80s. Um, and Steve McQueen is actually the director um, of the series. And there's actually some uh, actors, some famous actors in there, famous British actors in there that uh, I believe a lot of you all will be uh, familiar with. Um, uh, John Boyega is in there, and of course, uh, John Boyega is known for uh, sort of being, I believe, is Star Wars. That's where he's most famous for. And also Letitia Wright, who um, was the the smart 
genius intelligent sister of from black panther um and so she's also in there and you know uh, small likes is a bbc one original but anyways back to sort of this article um sir steve mcqueen is sort of talking about the idea that um hey you know there are things that we're able to do with sort of period pieces that in a way, I think he's kind of saying that has not been able to be done in schools, in our education system, right? The history that's not being taught in there, we're going to teach it. We're going to include it within these period pieces so that all these stories that have been left out of our education system can be included within these different uh, mediums that we're putting on, whether it's on TV or um, in streaming platforms, or it's podcasts, it's music, whatever it may be. We are going to make sure that the untold stories will be told. Um, and in there, they, uh, uh, James, the author of this article, goes on to say that McQueen's assertion could be a mantra for the best, most ambitious television dramas today. From the quietly subversive The Crown in Downton Abbey to the jolting radical small acts, the Underground Railroad and Poles, all on all on BBC Culture's poll of the 180 greatest series of the 21st century. Uh, television is correcting history's distortions in matters of race, gender, class, and power. The gay footmen Thomas and Downton Abbey and the runaway slave Cora and the Underground Railroad are presented to us as avatars of change, and now is an especially rich moment for series to reclaim the past. Previously muted voices from black, gay, transgender, and transgender creators are offering new, more authentic ways of seeing their histories. Their series are cleared-eyed period pieces for the present. And I think that is so true, right? Um, I mean, when you... And I remember actually watching Downton Abbey, because uh, I'm a huge fan of Downton Abbey, um, and I remember Thomas, uh, who is the gay footman, and I thought it was very beautiful of them to include a character like that in there because it, a lot of times in these kind of period pieces, you don't you don't see uh, sort of uh, some of those uh, characters included because look, gay people have been existing forever, right? And so why are you not including them in sort of these historical period pieces? Um, you know, uh, you talk about enslaved individuals, uh, including them within these uh, period pieces and whatnot, uh, and showcase their lives, their fullness as human beings, their complexities, um, so that you could give them the fullness of humanity that they were denied of during those times. And I think that's what period pieces are doing. I think in a lot of ways, period pieces are able to give these individuals, the underserved, the underrepresented, the full essence uh, and complexity of their humanity that they were denied in the times upon which they existed, right? Um, and I think that is a beautiful thing and is a thing, it's an amazing thing that's happening within sort of uh, the film industry, within television and, and whatnot. And I hope that it continues to, to, to grow and, and serve that understanding and, and that awakening of, hey, whose story is being is not being told, who's not being included within this story, and how can we include them to best portray sort of what they would have been experiencing at that time and sort of what their thoughts about that current the society at that time would have been, how would they have been interacting with different forms of power, with different structures within society, with their family members, with their co-workers, uh, with their friends and whatnot, what would that relationship been like at that time, so that we can understand what was it like to be um, a gay individual in the 1800s? What was it like to be black in the 1700s in, 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 in the UK? What was it like uh, in the 60s to be black in the UK, to be gay, to be transgender in, in different areas of the world within these periods, right? And I think that's the great things about these period 
pieces of series and, and that's what they're doing and uh, so go check that that article out again it's called um it's called uh let me look at the title again it's called historical drama and tv's reckoning with the past uh bbc culture uh by karen james so you should go and check that out um and sort of with that i'm gonna go on to review uh to do the review of the film that i watched um but before i do the review um i i have to bring us in with the song because that's way in which i always do it and that was the harder they fall by uh coffee uh and that and so that, that that's the film review I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be doing a film review on the harder they fall. Which before I get to that, I have to talk about Jay Z, uh, because Jay Z actually ties into this film. Um, so Jay Z actually had not had an Instagram, and so he uh, what was it like the other day or two days ago? Actually, okay, uh, a few days ago, actually had um, joint Instagram. Uh, to which it was huge news because like Jay Z is not on Instagram, so when he does join, of course, it's big news, eh? And so, uh, basically, Beyonce followed him, and that's the only person that Beyonce followed on Instagram. And so, everybody's, you know, going on his page, and I went on his page, and to look, and guess what he had posted? He was promoting The Harder They Fall, which is a movie that he is actually a producer of, which is Netflix uh, original. Um, and he is a, a producer of that movie, and literally, this dude just came on Instagram just to promote the movie. Uh, and the next day afterwards, I went to try to look for, to try to get on his uh, to try to go on his page. And guess what? He had deleted his page. So the man Jay Z created an Instagram account just to promote this movie. The harder they fall. I mean, look, he is no wonder he's made so much money. He is a businessman, um, and he fully understands that. And his marketing genius. Uh, of just literally creating an Instagram just to promote a movie and having Beyonce follow him and for the whole world to be talking about it. I mean, mate, you, you, you can't market anything much better than that. I mean, that is the smartest thing anybody could have done. And guess what? It worked because clearly I ended up watching the movie, which is on Netflix, and I enjoyed it, y'all. This movie, The Harder They Fall, I mean, it is it is amazing what they have been able to do with this and uh, sort of just a, a quick uh, summary of it. Uh, when an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from prison, he reunites his gang to seek revenge. Um, and this movie is basically about black cowboys, black cowboys and cowgirls. Like, that's what it's about. Basically, out in the wild west, like, doing buck wild shit. You know what I mean? That's what they're doing. Uh, excuse my French on that. Um, and uh, it's directed by, uh, what's his name? I believe it's James uh, Samuel is who directs this movie. Um, and it's just, it's amazing the, the way in which they're able to sort of include a story that's focusing on black people as, you know, going to the frontier. You know what I mean? Out in the wild, shooting and doing buck wild shit that we only see in these Western movies. We only see it when it when it's like white cowboys like as if they're the only people that was out there like as if black people were nowhere to be seen and that's what i'm getting back to sort of who is portrayed in our stories and in, in our history about who is included within these different periods right when you're talking about the wild west and the western uh sort of the frontier going out and 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 searching for sort of new territory again when i say this 
we have to understand the dark history that Native Americans, that this is their land and that they were always there and that there was brutality involved in sort of uh, the, the, the cowboys who are, who are moving out west and, and sort of trying to uh, bring about these settlements um, and whatnot. So I do have to um, uh, sort of uh, include that in there to say that I do recognize that history, but that there were Native Americans who were already on those lands um, and that that was their land is so... Uh, but I just wanted to include that before I went on. But the idea of sort of portraying black people as sort of being the main characters of a Western movie, I mean, it's amazing. It's an amazing concept that I love, uh, and I'm glad that they were able to do it. Um, and uh, so to sort of talk about this was released October 22nd, uh, so what, a few days ago. Um, and some of the main characters, of course, I have to read them out loud. Uh, Idris Elba, who portrays Rufus Buck. Um, ZZ uh, Beats, who portrays Mary Fields. Regina King, y'all know I love Regina King, who portrays Trudy Smith. Jonathan Majors, who portrays Nat Love. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who portrays Cherokee Bill. And R.J. Clyer, who, uh, Kyer, Kyler, who portrays Jim Beckworth. And there's some more characters, obviously, in there. But I just wanted to read those characters off so that you all at least knew uh, of them. Um, and it is an amazing movie in the way in which they were able to do it. Um, and I wanted to read you first some of the uh, reviews that came out about this movie uh, before I go on. Um, it, there's an article in Essence called Meet the Real Life Figures Depicted in the Black Western, The Harder They Fall. While the story told in the, next, in the Netflix film released today is entirely fictional, many of its characters were historical figures. Uh, and this is an article by, uh, again, in Essence by Oakley Jones. Um, and... And in there, she writes, uh, Netflix is highly anticipated the harder the harder they fall puts a new twist on the Old West. Written, directed, and scored by James Samuel. This movie highlights a moment in history that shows that cowboys came in different forms. Again, like I was saying, black cowboys come on that contrary to black popular beliefs. Uh, the, firm tell, the film tells the story of Nat Love, who is portrayed by Jonathan Majors, and all that hell-bent on avenging the death of his parents who were murdered in the cold blood by Rufus Buck, who is portrayed by Idris Elba. After Buck was broken out of prison by his gang, the harder they fall follows the battle between the two groups led by Love and Buck, along with providing the audience an action-packed journey uh, backed by an amazing soundtrack. Um, and, and so in this article, they actually go in, in details and, because again, the, the, the black cowboys are being portrayed in this film are loosely based off actual black cowboys that existed, that actually were out there, you know, doing cowboy shit, you know, uh, during this time, uh, what was it, what would have been, what, the late 1800s, uh, right, uh, would it have been the, yeah, early, no, early 1900s, right, uh, yeah, late 1800s, early, early 1900s, I mean, you get the gist. Around that time, uh, sort of when people are moving out west, um, and so uh, the cowboy whom Jonathan Major uh, portrays, who again his name in the movie, his name is Nat Love. Um, there's actually a real black cowboy whose name was Nat Love, um, and so the real Nat Love was born into slavery in 1854. After the Civil War, his family was freed and began working on plantation in and around Davidson County, Tennessee. Nat's father passed away when he was about 15 years old. 
during his time in Tennessee, Matt became skilled at cattle punching and raised enough money to go out on his own at the age of 16. By many historical accounts, Matt was a skilled cowboy. He earned the name Deadwood Dick in 1976 after winning um, 1200 uh, no, after winning $200 in a competition in the Dakota Territory. The required contestants to rope, throw, um, tie brittles, uh, and saddle a horse. In 1889, Love married his wife Alice and retired from cowboy life after spending time and his time in Denver as a Pullman porter. He and his family settled in Southern California in 1907. Love published his autobiography, Life and Adventures of Matt Love, better known in the cattle country as Deadwood Dick by himself, which added to his legacy as a cowboy. Love died in California at the age of 67 in 1921. So you can go and read this article, um, this essence article, which will give you, they also have a, a lot more of the, the cowboys who are portrayed in this film and, and the real life version of them. Um, but really, uh, the concept of it, again, like I said, you have black cowboys out in the Wild West uh, going buck wild. There's a lot of huge themes of, of, of sort of revenge. And, and look, you have to think at this time, when you are going out West, there is no proper sort of legal infrastructure and, and system in place um, that is meant to protect property, that is meant to protect uh, the movement of people, uh, that is meant to protect the livelihood of individuals, our families, right? That is that is meant to help provide a supply of goods uh, and all these things. Like that sort of polity is, is, has not yet been created or society, right? You're out west, you know, it's there's no settlements, there's no real, no proper settlements uh, in the way in which we understand settlements today. So all of these people are basically going out there taking a huge risk. Um, and so when you go out, so in there, it really portrays us to how all of these different cowboys, right, that we set up these uh, small encampments that they would end up developing into settlements. But in order to have a proper settlement, you need, again, you need a way to get goods. Uh, to be able to apply for the people within that settlement. You need a, uh, some sort of legal structure, some sort of um, uh, infor legal enforcement mechanism, which is where the sheriff comes in. Um, you need a way to protect yourself, which is where the guns come in, right? There is no other form of sort of government that's out there to protect you. So look, people all need to get their guns and protect themselves however they need to. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's also every man for himself. That's also the sort of environment you're in. Um, and sort of within this film, um, sort of the, the way it starts out is uh, basically it starts out with the scene um, where uh, Matt Love, as uh, a young boy, about 10 years old at that time, is sitting at the dinner table with his father and his mother. Um, and as they're about to say grace, um, sort of uh, Rufus Buck knocks on the door. And Rufus Buck comes in, and he's sort of, he's this cowboy, you know, he has uh, just sort of the, the cowboy hat on, and, and has two guns um, hoisted sort of to his uh, to his right hips, to, to both of his right and left hips. Um, and he sort of, when he comes in, you can see that Matt loves his father is very scared, right? Um, because he knows what's up. Um, because he knew that him and Rufus had some sort of beef, which I, I, I'll probably get into a little bit later, but I don't want to spoil it for you because I think you should watch it for yourself and see. Um, and basically, but there were some issues that they had with each other. Um, and and sort of uh, Rufus Buck, when he comes in, he sits right across 
from Nat Love's father, like on that table. Um, and you can see Nat Love's mother is like scared shitless, you know, because, hey, you got this dude coming in with two guns to his sides or with some other dude that's coming in with them. And Nat Love is right there. And the other guy that came in, Rufus Bug, basically holds Nat Love down. Um, and sort of Nat Love's father begs Rufus Bug, like, yeah, hey, you got beef with me. Just let us handle it between you and I. Leave my family out of this. Uh, but Rufus Buck is out here for blood. All right. When I tell you out here for blood, he takes them two guns, sets them right on the table, facing um, uh, Nat Love's father. Um, and guess what he does? But about boom, eliminates uh, Nat Love's mother, and then goes on to kill um, uh, Nat Love's father. And then after that, what he does is that he takes out this sort of kind of like a pocket knife type of thing. Um, and he cuts Nat Love and his forehead and gives him sort of a, a, a scar of a cross uh, in the shape of a cross. And that's sort of what starts out starts out the film. Um, and sort of later on, as Nat, when Nat Love grows up, um, sort of he is out to seek revenge on Rufus Buck. Because this is a dude that took his family out. And he is out on a mission for revenge. And he will do whatever he must to take out revenge on Rufus Buck. But Rufus Buck is like the big bad uh, dude of, of sort of that, that area. Serving that Wild West, Wild West area. Um, and he actually, Rufus Buck actually gets arrested. Uh, but then there is uh, supposedly some deal that's made between Rufus Buck's gang and the government. Um, and there is a scene in there in which this is where Regina King is introduced, where basically they are on these, uh, it's all black horse riders are on this horse, horses riding out in the Wild West. And Regina King's uh, character, who's Trudy Smith, basically is on the horse and she stops in the middle of a train track, in the middle of a train track as a train is coming her way. Uh, she stops literally at this horse right in the middle of the train track and the conductor trying to yell like, hey, you know, trying to do the horn and everything, you know, for her to, to get out, to get off the train track. But she does not move. I mean, she is still as, as, as like a stone, still as steel. You know what I mean? Like not moving at all. Um, and it is amazing seeing that scene and just the way in which they did it. It's like this powerful black woman who badass black. I mean, she, she don't give a shit. Yeah, that train. No, you're going to stop that train. I'm not going nowhere. I'm not moving. Um, and the train actually, they end up, you know, the conductor ends up stopping the train. But basically, um, uh, what's his name? Rufus Buck was actually, because he was a prisoner, because uh, he had, he had um, been in prison by the government. So he was actually a prisoner. Um, and he was actually on the, on board of that train. And so Regina King, basically, who persuades Trudy Smith, came with her gang. And they basically came to rescue um, Rufus Buck from that train and uh it just it's an amazing scene of how they actually end up rescuing him off of that train and whatnot and just seeing the way in which the the, the really the thing i would say about this film is that it puts black people at that time in sort of the wild west in a different uh sort of power structure um then i think normally we have seen black people at that time right we're here you're talking about the sort of the late 1800s right uh the black people at that time did not have that much power. Let me be honest with you, right? We we did not occupy that much sort of uh, wield and power structures, um, and we're still facing instances of racism and all these different things and uh, and segregation and discrimination. Discrimination, and so for this film to actually um, sort of uh, put black people sort of in, in that position where like no, they're wielding power. 
and the way in which they can. Uh, and they will put white people in eight places. And that's that's the way in which the film, I mean, really, that's what they're doing in the film. Um, you know, I remember there's also another scene where um, uh, sort of Nat Love, um, let me introduce this. So there is um, uh, Mary, who is sort of Nat Love's is, uh, love interest uh, within the movie. Um, is also an amazing performer. She owns this uh, saloon and, and this entertainment space, basically, uh, and, and, and the settlement that she lives in. Um, and her and Nat Love go back and on and off and whatnot. It's sort of this love interest, which I, help, I think, in a way, it helps to balance against sort of the dramatic, uh, sort of crazy, um, violent uh, scenes within the movie, right? With this, um, these two characters who have this love interest. And I think that helps to balance that out with all the other chaos that's happening in this Wild West Western uh, film. Um, and she is also badass. I mean, look, she is amazing, and she is fierce, she's courageous. Um, and so when Rufus Buck actually was, um, uh, got rescued by his gang, and, and, and Rufus Buck sort of lived in this settlement, uh, called Redwood. Uh, and by the time when Rufus Buck was basically in prison, uh, a new sheriff basically was in town, Sheriff Wiley. Um, and when Rufus Buck comes back, you know, he wants to, you know, take over what's his, you know? Um, and so when word spreads around, because technically Rufus Buck basically beat the shit out of Sheriff Wiley, uh, and told him to get the fuck out of his town. Um, and so Sheriff Wiley has some beef with Rufus Buck. Uh, and so Sheriff Wiley tries to go and sort of gain some sort of, uh, how would you call it, uh, some sort of, uh, support and some sort of group that can sort of help them gain revenge on Rufus Buck, and that's he ends up finding that group and, and those com comrades, if you will, out of uh, this one sheriff called Sheriff Bill, no, Sheriff Baz, um, and uh, Nat Love and Mary and sort of their gang are the people that they ride with. Um, and uh, there's a time where, uh, there's a point where it sort of uh, Mary wants to be able to go to Redwood, that town, that settlement that uh, Rufus Buck and Sheriff do actually go see for herself. Uh, whether the, the the story that uh, Sheriff Wiley is telling them of, of Sir Rufus Buck being back is true, and she wants to go see it for herself, and she takes this risk, great risk of really going there. And by her going there, she actually, you know, of course, like Rufus Buck and 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 Chewie Smith and all these people, like, like yo, you're not just gonna walk in here and think like because what she does is that Mary tries to make a business uh, uh, negotiation with Rufus Buck, but he's not buying it. He thinks that she's there for some other arterial motive and whatnot. So she actually gets, they actually end up taking her captive and whatnot. And of course, Nat Love, being the love interest of Mary, comes there to try to save her and whatnot. And and that's sort of what spins off sort of the, the major sort of the the, the the majority of the film, right? It, it's sort of Nat Love has to save his love interest from Rufus Buck. Who is his sworn enemy? Rufus Buck, the man who took out his folks, has killed his parents right in front of his eyes, uh, now has taken hold of, has taken captive of his lover. Um, and so he's going to do whatever he has to do to take her back. And so later on, it's sort of just these scenes where look, they're going into it with, with each other. There's a lot of shootings or shootouts and whatnot. And it's, just, it's an amazing film. And I don't want to give out the end because... In the end, I would say that there is um, those two. They do have a head-to-head -head moment uh, where there's things that are revealed, and you get to understand sort of the motives behind why Rufus Buck ended up killing Nat Love's parents to begin with. Um, and 
the only hint that I can give is that, and again, I want y'all to go watch this. I don't want to give out, give, give out sort of what happens, but sort of there is there is something between uh, Nat Love's father and Rufus Buck. They have some sort of relation. Uh, and the way in which, and because of that relation that they had, uh, there are some things that happened in the past. Um, and so when Rufus Buck basically in the opening scene of uh, the film basically comes to take out revenge on on, on Nat Love's father, there is a reason. And in the end, you kind of get to understand that reason. Um, and you're able to understand why he did it. Granted, should he have done that, you know, in front of the, you know, a little boy? Or should he even have done that to start with? Um, but all of it, really, it, it, it strikes at this idea of hurt people hurt people. And let me tell you something. In the Wild West, that's so true. You hurt one, you hurt it's an eye for an eye. I mean, they will come for you. You take mine, I take what's yours. I mean, and that is sort of the thing and the running theme in this. But overall, like, yo, it's it's an amazing film. Like, go and watch it on Netflix. Like, yo, Jay-Z did a great job. Also, I have to talk about the soundtrack. The soundtrack in this film is amazing. Like, it is riveting in, in terms of uh, the dramatic effect that it has on sort of all of these different sort of action-filled scenes, but there's also scenes in there, right? You know, I was talking about Nat Love and Mary, uh, sort of their love affair, and there's scenes in there where also the music helps to bring about again what I was talking about—that balance when those two are together and there's having more intimate um, sort of interactions amongst each other. You do get to, the music also helps draw you in, and so there is that balance of sort of soulful, sort of uh, punk rock, sort of energetic rap, um, soulful, somewhat R&B vibes, also a lot of reggae, there's a lot of reggae included in there, but there's also, um, um, influences of sort of Afrobeat that I heard in there, sort of like, a, almost like, uh, almost like Fela Kuti, and I don't know if that's who it was in there, but almost like, there was a part where it felt like there was almost like a Fela Kuti vibe, sort of within the music, uh, that was going on, and so amazing soundtrack, of course, if Jay-Z is involved in something like, and there's going to be music a part of it. Like, it's going to be amazing. Also, Jay-Z actually does rap uh, on the soundtrack. Lauren Hill, uh, Seal is a part of it. Uh, Kid, K Kid Cudi. Um, uh, Kofi, as I said earlier, that's the song that I opened up with. So it's amazing. Uh, it's Nina Simone is a part of uh, sort of her uh, sounds are also a part of it, uh, I believe, in the soundtrack and in the movie. And so just all around great uh, the imagery. I mean were amazing and the effects i mean just everything came together the way that it was supposed to and it's an amazing work of art so you should go and watch it and check it out for yourself because i think you will really enjoy it um and so yeah that is my review of the harder they fall um and before i will end it off with this new york times article uh which and the article reads uh let me read the article to you uh and that's what i will end off the sort of this review with uh, it's a New York Times article uh, called The Heart of They Fall Review. A new look for the Old West James Samuels film is a bloody horse opera with the charismatic cast by A.O. Scott. Um, and sort of it reads, A note at the beginning of The Heart of They Fall asserts that while the story is fictional, these people existed. This isn't about historical accuracy or even realism. It's about genre. The movie directed by James Samuel from a screenplay he wrote with Boaz Yakin is a high-style pop western with geysers or geysers of blood, um, winks of nasty, knowing humor, and eclectic, joyfully 
anachronistic soundtrack featuring cuts from Jay-Z, Fela Kuti. Yes, I knew Fela Kuti was in there, uh, and Nina Simone alongside Samuel's original score. The point is that the vivid assortment of gunslingers, chantasies, saloon keepers, and train robbers, all of them black, who ride through picturesque mountain ranges and frontier towns have as authentic a claim on the mythology of the West as their white counterparts. They exist, in other words, as true archetypes in a primal story of revenge, greed, treachery, and courage. And I think that's a great review to leave off, off with this film review that I did of The Harder They Fall, uh, produced by JC, uh, directed by James Samuel. You should check it out on Netflix. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bobby and Friends and see you for the next episode. Thank you so much.